Welcome to The Safety Break, the Whitewater Rescue Podcast. We're here to share stories of real river accidents and rescues and find expert advice on how to solve the problems you might encounter in the Whitewater River environment. I'm your host, Jack Diddy, an emergency medicine physician, whitewater paddler, and wilderness medicine educator. Together, I hope we can celebrate successful rescues and learn from our mistakes in a supportive environment. If you have a story to share of a non-fatal accident or rescue, send me an email at thesafetybreak at gmail.com or contact me on our Facebook page, The Safety Break. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button and follow us on social media. I hope you learned something valuable in the show. I was going so fast and uh, I just felt my shoulder pop right out. My team got to me really quickly and they immediately began making a plan or like talking about how we were going to try to get the shoulder back in because I was in a lot of pain. He knocked me out right away and then set it back in and then I just woke up from a very deep restful sleep (laughs) with my shoulder back in place which was really nice. In part one of our discussion about shoulder dislocations, we heard about Bernie Engelman's ordeal on the Stikeen River and his eventual evacuation and successful reduction of the injury at a small medical clinic in remote British Columbia. We then discussed recognition and treatment of shoulder dislocations in the wilderness setting. Check out that episode first if you're just tuning in here with us. Now in part two, I want to figure out how you pick up the pieces and start the healing process once you've had this type of injury. The first few weeks after a dislocation can be pretty frustrating. It certainly wrecks your immediate paddling plans, but it can also disrupt your work and your ability to function in general. The options for fixing it up can also seem pretty overwhelming. When the shoulder dislocates, there's almost always some soft tissue damage, often involving a tear of the glenoid labrum, the fibrous tissue that surrounds the joint socket, and sometimes an injury to one of the many rotator cuff muscles or tendons, and even small divots out of the humerus or the glenoid itself. This causes instability of the shoulder and a decent chance of recurrent dislocations. The cornerstone of the healing process is physical therapy, safely and gradually building up the muscle structure around the joint. But some people need a surgical repair as well to fix the torn labrum or any damaged rotator cuff tendons. I can't imagine that anyone understands all of this better than Liz Cook. Liz is a lifelong kayaker and has a doctorate in physical therapy and a degree in engineering. She has a physical therapy practice called Blue Ridge Biomechanics and also works as a coach for women's mountain bike skills and strengthening. She has an amazing amount of free information about all of this on our YouTube channel called The Ride Life and on our Blue Ridge Biomechanics website. I'll put some links to these on our Facebook site. In this episode, we're going to hear from Liz as she explains how to maintain good shoulder health and injury prevention as a paddler, and then how to approach the aftermath of shoulder dislocations. Before we hear from Liz, though, we're going to get a quick update from Bernie. He's back home, on the mend, and now waiting for a surgical repair of his injury. It's uh, improved a lot. Uh, my, uh, my mobility is slowly coming back, um, but it's still, it's like, it's slow progress for sure. I'm getting surgery uh, November 13th now, so um, I'm just kind of trying to get as much mobility back as I can before the surgery. The PT doesn't want me to do anything too uh, intensive, in terms of the strengthening, but um, just for mobility, 
have this pulley system to help like lift my left arm up further um, to try to regain mobility. But my um, the, the muscles around my shoulder joint are still very much locked up. Uh, and it's a uh, really slow progress trying to get those to like relax and move around again. And yeah. So they just said, uh, try to use it lightly. Uh, I've been cycling a lot and doing a lot of like plank-esque exercises and they say that that's really good. Just kind of like activate, but not overuse. Um, yeah. So I've just kind of been doing a lot of light duty exercise with it to try to keep it moving, but not too, too much. It's definitely painful, but, uh, it's, it's like, it probably wouldn't be if I just left it alone. <laughs> so let's wish Bernie well on his journey back to the river. Next up is my discussion with Liz Cook, as she explains how paddlers can maintain good shoulder health and how to approach the recovery process from a dislocation. So everybody, my name is Liz. I am a doctor of physical therapy. I have been a kayaker since I couldn't remember. Like my mom, she taught kayaking class whenever she was pregnant with me. So I've kind of grown up on the river in that I've done some competing freestyle wise and just paddled for years on years. As far as like my practice Blue Ridge biomechanics, I kind of formed that in a little bit of a niche of seeing mostly whitewater kayakers, mountain bikers, and people that are just active in, in general, knowing the gamut of being really injured to being really fit. And that wide range of kind of the athlete mindset, I think is super helpful, as well as understanding the mechanics of actually whitewater paddlers and what they need and what they have to do. What kind of injuries do you see with kayakers other than dislocations with, with the shoulders? I think predominantly I actually see more rotator cuff injuries and like that can come from a dislocation or it can just come from years of doing things mechanically a little bit off way or not strengthening your body in different ways. And so you're, it's like an overuse injury more so. In general, just from a physical therapy standpoint, what, what can paddlers do in like early on in the course of their paddling to, to help, uh, prevent shoulder injuries and just to promote good shoulder health? I think um, there's a little mechanism of posture. There's a little mechanism of how you're actually pulling and doing your stroke and some mechanisms of mobility. So posture coming from like how you're actually sitting in your seat, because that's where the base, whenever you look at like a house and how it's structured, you look at the foundation, right? And so changing how you sit in the kayak actually changes how your upper body is going to move as you paddle. Um, there's been a big trend in the industry to make scooped like kind of seats that get you in there and get your knees up. Well, that rounds your low back. And so I actually tell people to wedge their butt. And so it actually tips their pelvis forward some. It's a dramatic change if you have low back issues, if you have other hip issues, it can drastically change how you sit in the boat, how you're able to use your core and how you're able to rotate your body. With that, with your pelvis being tilted forward, are you going to have a, kind of a more upright back posture then in the boat? Yep. So then you naturally have a little bit better posture. You're able to maintain that 
a little bit better. It's not going to require near as much muscle movement. You just naturally sit in that better posture. And so then that comes in from to help you now use your mobility. Everyone's taught that they're supposed to rotate their trunk because they're paddling forward. You want to get a better boost stroke. You use your core more. You get more of that rotation. It gives you more. Well, same thing goes. You need that thoracic mobility or your upper back mobility to actually rotate. Everybody that goes through life right now needs to work on thoracic mobility. It's kind of just the world we live in at the moment. We look at phones, we look at computer screens, we look at every, like we're just slumped a little bit more so in the day and we don't rotate near as much as we need to as a whole. And so working on thoracic mobility or upper back mobility and rotation can help a ton. And that also goes into what else helps with rotation. Your shoulder blade musculature actually helps you get that shoulder back and helps you to use more of your stabilizing muscles for your actual shoulder joint. So we actually have 17 muscles that help with our shoulder complex. That's a ton. That's a ton of different muscles. And so that basically means is that our shoulder has a lot more mobility than it does stability because it has a huge range of motion. Where we gain some of the strength from our rotator cuff musculature is where they actually are, like where they're from, where they originate. They originate on our shoulder blade then they come over and they cross over the shoulder joint. Well, if our shoulder blade isn't stable, isn't getting secure, having its grounding, then it's not going to be able to function very well for your rotator cuff to function well. Whenever you look across the parking lot at a a takeout or a put-in, you'll see everybody has a lot of musculature on the outer edge of their shoulder blades. That's just kind of where people build as kayakers. And it's because we do so much small pulls, but we don't actually work on pulling through and using our shoulder blade musculature as well. You're going to use both, honestly, but it's the fact that we need to strengthen up our shoulder blade to spine musculature and not just use our humerus to shoulder blade musculature. That helps as a whole base foundation, how you're positioned pelvis posture how your upper body can move, mobility in your upper back, and then how strong is it? Is it going to be stable? Those three combine to help you actually have the best shoulder health and also keep it from being dislocated. It sounds like that's something you can't get just from paddling itself. Like if I just go out and paddle five days a week, I'm missing a good portion of the strengthening that I would need to to have a, a strong shoulder. Is that fair to say, or, or do I need, do I need to be doing something in addition to paddling? Yes and no. Some, some of it just is a thought process, you know, like what muscles are you using? Be more aware of your body. When a lot of us, we go out and paddle, we're, it's kind of the last thing we're thinking about, you know, you go out there and you warm up just a little bit if you do that. And then you just motor on down the river. The last thing you're thinking about is your body and whether I'm using my shoulder blade muscles or not. And so having some conscious thought while you're out there doing it can help you a ton for if you're actually using those muscles or not. If you need more exercises to help you know what muscles you need to be working, then that's when you add them on to get them stronger and like really helping you. Yeah, it does take a little bit extra, but you can get some even from just paddling. And if you're going to do it outside of paddling, what type of stuff do you do? 
Yeah. I mean, you can do like a bent over row. You can do even just some arm pull downs some face, face pulls. There's tons of different exercises. You can do like a 90, 90 carry with your arm. So you're holding a weight up at kind of 90 degrees of shoulder abduction. So it's basically stayed out from you, your elbows at 90 degrees and you're holding a weight and you just walk around like that, you know, like that helps you position your arm. You're usually walking. So it's usually a one-sided thing. This helps you to also carry your bite, your boat because usually we'll tend to carry our boat on one side versus the other side. We have a preferred side and it can help you normalize or even out the rest of your body for some of that. There's, if you check out some of my, I have a Liz's ride life YouTube channel. I have some other exercises that are on there. It's not necessarily kayaking specific, but you'll see some shoulder exercises on there. You'll see some core exercises on there. Pretty much if it's good for mountain biking, it's probably good for kayaking too. Once you're in the boat, you know, we always think about kind of keeping our elbows in and just protecting your shoulder from high braces and things. Are those kind of the main things that that you think of in terms of protecting the shoulder? I think the biggest thing is just even warming up your arm, like warming up your shoulder. Are you warming up your core? Are you doing like some different spins where you're actually doing sweeps and forward and back? Are you doing edging where you're actually working on? the ability for your core to turn on and you to understand how to use it. Like what are, what all are you doing before you even start going down the river? And then it comes down to like, how are you, is your brace like your last resort? Is it your first resort? Like what all are you doing with that? How often are you practicing your roles? Play budding is the perfect thing to help you normalize out and get those quick reactions understand what your body needs to be doing and practice it in a non-threatening manner. Like you can practice on a smaller wave. You can practice on the next step up in a hole, you know, like doing those things helps your body to acclimatize, know how to react and react more properly. Be more reactive and understanding how to be more fluid in your boat will help you prevent injury. Once the dislocation has occurred, and let's say you've had a successful reduction of it, it, se- it seems like there's probably a little bit of time where you want to back off and, and just let things kind of naturally chill out for a little while. Is there anything specifically that needs to be happening in those first few weeks other than just rest and kind of protecting the shoulder and letting the inflammation die down? It depends on the level of injury. Some dislocations, you've royally screwed things up. And some dislocations come in a more hypermobile individual and you haven't royally screwed them up, but you've screwed them up a little bit more than what they were before. And the extent of that one is going to play out a little bit on how you present. Can you raise your arm up? Can you not? Can you raise it up with your other arm? Does that cause so much pain that that's even impossible? And so the level of how bad you screwed things up leads you into whether you are going to need to like protect the arm or whether you need to get it moving. One of the things that we don't want to have happen is if you don't move or do something, then you atrophy your muscles. And so if we can prevent that, 
but without causing extra damage, then that's what we want to do. And so, as I said, 17 muscles that cross over the shoulder complex, that's a whole lot of different muscles that can become weak and non-functional. Pain also makes things weaker and non-functional in a neurological standpoint. Your brain says, ooh, that's painful. I don't want to use these muscles as much. And so it, it down-regulates them, basically. And so it, it kind of is an it depends. And that's where going in and seeing somebody, seeing a PT that can tell you, okay, yes, let's start with these exercises. They may even be passive, but still getting your joint moving if they see that it's not going to mess your joint up more by having some movement. So really in those first few days after the injury, maybe maybe taking it easy for a few days and going ahead and scheduling a, an appointment with somebody to, to get a good assessment of it is, is kind of the, the first step of the process. Yep. Get someone to look at you, see how bad you messed it up. <laughs> So do you schedule an appointment with an orthopedic doctor or do you schedule an appointment with a physical therapist? Either one of those pathways would be appropriate. I always say do both. Um, you can see the orthopedic doc and they can say, all right, well, let's schedule a, an MRI. And then if they don't feel like that, then they're going to say, all right, let's get you in for PT. And if you already have that scheduled, then you can say, all right, it's already good. If you get in to see the PT first, then they can help give you an assessment and they can say, all right, yeah, let's go ahead and get you talking to an orthopedic doctor. That way, if we see that you need an MRI, you've already got an accord started and you've got that pathway going. You know, what I don't want to have happen is someone comes sees me two weeks later, we realize they are not progressing. And then they now begin seeing an orthopedic doctor. Then they get the MRI. And so it's by that point in time, you're like four to six weeks down the road. Well, if we start both of them now, then we we progress on that timeline much faster. From your perspective, like what is the MRI kind of helping differentiate? Well, it's it kind of depends on how you present, but one, it's are you going to need surgery? And if you are looking towards surgery before that, then that's why you actually get the MRI. If you are wanting to stave off surgery as long as possible, see how like preventative care does PT, then you probably won't get one unless there's some very sharp pains, some things that look funny on your presentation when it comes to your physical strength and your range of motion. AKA, do you have like a loose body hanging around inside your joint or are you dislocating your sleep? Like other things like that, that you may want to prevent surgery, but you're kind of looking towards it. Let's go ahead and get an eye on it and see what we have going on in there. But for somebody, let's say somebody that, chooses to go the PT route and does not require surgery, what's the typical process like for them? Um, it depends on how bad their tear is. So typically they have some type of tear. And so you're basically rehabbing that. You're wanting to lay down some scar tissue and you're wanting that scar tissue to then become viable tissue to be able to be used to hold load across because the muscle contracts and then it pulls on the tendon to pull on the bone. And that's what moves your body. And so as far as what it looks like, it looks like we slowly add load, more load to your muscle, helping put load and tension across that injury site. And so your body can now make adaptive changes to actually make that scar tissue now a viable tissue for holding more tensile load. What factors impact a positive outcome for people in terms of recovery from a shoulder injury? Is it um, kind of pre-existing fitness? Is it motivation and 
mental state? Like what, what do you see as like the primary factors that help somebody pull through this? Definitely the pre-existing fitness that matters as within everything, how many also shoulder injuries they've had in the past before that, that plays a role into it. Previous mobility, again, thoracic mobility, cervical spine mobility, those two play a huge role into how your shoulder is doing as far as like nerve function. Also just consistency. How are you doing with your actual workouts? Are you listening to your body as you are doing your exercises? Or are you just going to run through the motions? Having that consistency and communication with your, with your therapist, like with your PT, telling your therapist what's going on, what's happening, that matters. So somebody that's recovering the first few months after an injury, how often are they needing to, to meet up with their physical therapist typically? Honestly, it depends on how bad off they are. If they've had surgery, then they're definitely going to be there like two times a week, sometimes in the very beginning, three times a week, if you're worried about a frozen shoulder so you can get the mobility back in. Um, if you are non-surgical, it can be twice a week. It can be once a week. It can be once every two weeks. It it just depends on one, like a lot of those previous factors. Do I trust that the person's going to be able to do the exercises properly? How often am I going to need to progress them? Those are some of the factors. And for all of us out here, just how, how often should we be working on our shoulders? Every day? Every other day? At least three times a week outside of the boat. If you are getting in the older crowd range, then at least three times a week and not just shoulders, but core and also lower body as well. People that are out there in general that might have questions about their shoulder or that might want uh, to consult with you from a physical therapy standpoint, wh where do they reach you at? The email that's the easiest to remember is info at theridelife.com or any of my social channels. I also do um, different consultations. So not even just like acting as your PT, but just as like a co coach per se. I can coach you across different state lines versus just being your PT. And so you can ask me questions and I can refer you how to even communicate with your PT better and how to interact with your, your doctor better. I can do those consultations as well. Well, thank you very much, Liz. Hopefully I'll see you on the water sometime. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for tuning in again at the Safety Break. If you support what I'm doing here, please let me know by following or subscribing to the podcast on whichever platform you choose, by liking or following the Safety Break site on Facebook, or by sharing a favorite episode on social media to help spread it around. Thanks again for listening, and I hope to see you on the river. Thank you for listening to The Safety Break, the Whitewater Rescue Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button and click follow on our Facebook page so that we know that you're out there. I'm also looking for more stories. If you know of an interesting non-fatal river accident or rescue, send me a few details by email, safetybreak at gmail.com. It doesn't have to be dramatic or life-threatening, just something that we all might be able to learn from. I'll see if we can turn it into an episode. Stay safe out there, and I hope to see you on the river.